Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Find ourselves in the fourth week of Advent. We got all all four of those blue candles burning this time. Um, Advent, since we're in Wisconsin, somehow coincides with deer hunting season, right? I've been talking with Pat about how many different seasons there are. Tony was trying to explain to me how many different seasons there are. I was like, how many deer are we supposed to take? So I thought it may be a good idea to go over some hunter safety course here real quick and uh, talk about, uh, you know, some things that we learned. Like, for example, there were a couple guys, a couple friends of mine, Elmer and Fred, out hunting together. They got lost, right? And Fred started to freak out a little bit, and Elmer said, oh, it's no problem. He said, I know exactly what to do. What we're supposed to do is fire three shots into the air and then just wait. Fred said, how long do we wait? And he said, well, maybe an hour. So they do it. They shoot three shots into the air and wait for an hour. Nothing happens. I said, well, what do we do? Well, we'll try it again. So fire three more shots in the air, and they wait. Now, this kind of happened around noon, so it's starting to, you know, get a little later in the day, and so they're starting to fire three more shots and still waiting. Now they're not waiting quite an hour, and Fred said, you know, I'm, I'm getting worried. And Elmer said, you know, I'm getting kind of worried, too. It's getting dark out, and we're about to shoot our last three arrows. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right. So title of the sermon this morning or the message this morning is hope hope is here now they put their hope in something that uh, that they didn't quite understand that they didn't fully comprehend um, so this is what we're talking about this morning so we've been talking about the words of advent uh, this morning or this uh, this series has been about the words of advent uh, we've talked about god's joy we've talked about god's peace um, since um, dr shulo took over on the first week of advent um, I wasn't able to talk about uh, the first word of Advent, and that is the word of hope. Jennifer, do we have screens? We have the word of hope. So, uh, all right, and so that's, I want to circle back, I want to talk about that one. Actually, just a nice title slide would be good for right now. Just a good title slide, just uh, not, not verses yet. So we're talking about God, the, the hope that God gives us. So not, not, not just love, not just joy, not just peace, but uh, God's peace from, God's hope from above. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, but could you put the, the actual title slide up here, the one that says hope is here, there we go, see, Jared worked so hard on that one, isn't that beautiful? Hope is here, that's what we're talking about this morning. Oh, and so we've talked about a couple of other words of Advent, a couple of the other words of Advent. Uh, we talked about God's peace, and when we think of God's peace, we should think of the Hebrew word shalom, which makes us complete, right? That's what the word shalom means. We talked about God's joy. How um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, uh, Nehemiah 8.10. And that really goes back to how the joy of the Lord is our protection, is our safety, is our refuge. Literally, that strong tower is God's joy. So this morning, I want to talk about the hope that God gives us, Um, the one that created you, the one that created you with a purpose, and that purpose is to have a relationship with him. And that word hope is maybe the most important word when it comes to our relationship with God. The word hope is maybe the most important word when it comes to our relationship with God. Now, if you've been here along with this series or if you've ever been in this church before, you know that we're going to learn a lot more about this word hope and put a different, not necessarily a different spin on it, but I'm going to give you a different explanation of how it works in our lives. What the biblical term, what the word hope means in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you combine them, uh, and all the derivatives of the word hope, that word appears in the Bible about 140 times when we think about the derivatives, hope or hoped or hopeful or hoping, things like that. The root word in both the Hebrew and the Greek, and we're going to get to that in a second, is much akin to the way we use that word. 
The way we use the word hope, if we, you know, if we sat down and we're in a classroom and really um, wrote out a description or, or a definition of the word hope, the word, way we use the word hope is that we um, use it to describe the feeling of a future that is better than the present. That's what hope is, to describe the feeling of a future that is better than the present. That's what we're hoping for. Talk to doctors, they'll talk about how the state of anticipation, the state of hope, is crucial for our well-being and for our existence. Obviously, now otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it, it's a very important concept in the Bible uh, that we need to talk about. There's two main words um, in the Hebrew language. Um, the first is rather mundane. Actually, there's, there's three words that the Hebrew language uses for the word hope. We have one. Hebrew language has three different words. Two of them are, are more what we're going to be talking about today. The third one doesn't really uh, go in this conversation today. But the first one, the first Hebrew word is a rather uh, mundane, I call it, word. It's called yachal, yachal. And it means simply to wait. It means to wait, right? But not only just to wait, um, but to wait for something you know is going to happen. Um, like if you're waiting for a bus, you know that that's going to happen. That would be the Hebrew word, yachal. Something you know is going to happen. Something that's important to you. It's the word in the Bible when we read the story about Noah. When Noah is floating around, his family are floating around all the animals in the ark. And they're waiting for the waters to recede. That's Noah waiting for something he knows is going to happen. That's yachal. Now, the other Hebrew word um, is very similar to that. It's kaval. Kaval is where things get interesting. Now, that word is more closely connected and the connotations of it are an expectation or an anticipation, expectation, anticipation while you wait. In other words, um, if you uh, were waiting for that bus, that bus may or may not come. It may or may not come on time, right? So that's, that's why we say yachal for that, but kaval is something that we know is going to happen. So that's why the Hebrew language has three different words for hope. Because we wouldn't say something as ridiculous, and I've said this before in here, we wouldn't say something as ridiculous as, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow morning. Now, if we got into a physical or a philosophical conversation and debate, we'd get into that. But we know the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning. So it would be a, sim- a silly thing for us to say, I hope the sun comes up. It would be a very silly thing for me to say, I hope it gets freezing you know, <laughs> tomorrow because we know that's going to happen, right? So those are, different, those are different things. Those are things that we know are going to happen. Now, we might not be waiting in um, anticipation for something like that, but that's kaval in the Hebrew language. Now, when we see it used in the Bible, it's almost always referring to God's power and God's saving grace. Kaval is almost always uh, related to God's power and God's saving grace. And even God's protection, right? That's how all these words of Advent kind of start to mull together and start to spin together and start to have kind of the same idea, the same kind of meaning. See, when we, when we, theologically speaking, when we um, decide what some of these candles are going to represent and what we're going to celebrate the four weeks before Christmas, you know, we're not just throwing darts and saying, ah, this word sounds good or that word sounds good. No, we look at how the Bible presents these words to us, and then we see the common thread that goes through them. We say, yeah, these are all connected. This is what God did. This is what Jesus did when he came into the world the first time. So these are the things that we're going to concentrate. These are the things that we're going to look at. So getting back to Kaval, referring to God's power and God's grace and he, even his protection, it's interesting to see where um, those Hebrew words are used in different places in the Bible. See, in other words, the word Kaval isn't always translated in the Bible as the word hope. 
because it just doesn't belong like that. It's used in different places because it's a very versatile word. One of the surprising places that I found it is in the book of Joshua. Look at Joshua. Two Hebrews go into, the two Jewish spies go into Jericho, right, to spy out the place. Um, and long story short, they end up in Rahab's apartment that's right on the wall. You know, it's, uh, her window looks literally outside the city wall. And these guys are in a lot of trouble. They're in a lot of uh, danger. So what Rahab does is that she lowers them down in a basket. You guys know this story. This is from Joshua 2. They, she lowers them down in a basket with a cord, right, a scarlet red cord. And as a result, or as a payment for that, they agree to not destroy her home there, right? So that cord was a sign and it was a guarantee and it was a promise that she was going to be protected, she was going to be safe. That cord is the word kaval, right? That cord is the word kaval. So it's a sign of safety, it's a sign of comfort, it's a, sign, uh, it's a guarantee of God's protection, right? So she didn't, now listen to me. Because the English is different than Hebrew. And sometimes our language falls short of where we need to get. That's why we talk about these words in depth like this. But when she put that rope down, she was not just saying, I hope that when, they, when the Israelites come and attack the city and destroy everything, she didn't say, I hope that they don't destroy my apartment and all the people in it. No, she knew that they weren't going to destroy it. It was a guarantee. So it was a hope of a guarantee. It was a hope of an expectation, right? It was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen the way she wanted to. It was God's protection. It was God's safety. So now biblical hope, when we read about hope in the Bible, it's about waiting. It's about anticipating. It's about expectation. Waiting for something you know is going to happen. Right? Something you know is going to happen. Rahab knew that it wasn't going to attack, right? It wasn't going to be destroyed. So now we're waiting in expectation, in anticipation. So while we're sitting here listening to these words, we should be thinking in our minds, right? Waiting for what should be the question that we're asking. If biblical hope means to be waiting, well, what are we waiting for? Well, if we take a peek at the book of Psalms, you know, some of the Psalms, um, we're always waiting for God. We're waiting on God. We're waiting for God. And so the word kaval comes up in places like that. For example, and I could have picked literally a dozen off the top of my head of these uh, from the psalms, but here's a couple of them that are, again, interconnected and intertwined. Look at Psalm 130, verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. Now, that wait for the Lord is the first, that's yakal. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. Remember how psalms say things do different ways. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my Kaval, I put my hope, I put my trust. That's what we see here, that kaval, that expectation, that anticipation. That's the why of why we put our hope in God. Because I'm waiting for his word, I'm putting my trust in him. The why comes after that in verse 7. Israel, put your kaval, put your hope, your trust, your expectations in the Lord. Because the Lord's love never fails. He sets his people completely free. Look at what we're talking about here. See, now, if, if you're thinking back to how, you know, some of these other words we've used um, in, in this Advent series, the words of Advent, that, that verse right there should light some other candles, other flames, other ideas in your head. Back to this, though, biblical hope is not based on, on uh, some kind of abstract thing. No, biblical hope is based on the person. Not just a person, the person. Biblical hope is not based on on your ability to do something or to not do something. 
It's also not based on what we would call optimism, right? That's kind of where we put hope, in sort of the optimism category. Sometimes we have control over it, sometimes we don't have control over it. You know, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because we want to, you know, well, we don't have a lot of control over that. Standing up at the, in the tee box with a, with a golf club, I hope I don't put this in the woods, right? Based on our abilities. Tony's hoping for that 12-point buck to walk by, something we don't have control over. That's where we put our hope. That's what we talk about, the way we talk about hope. Not our ability, not just optimism. Optimism means choosing to see how circumstances in a situation could work out. Right? That's optimism. Ah, this could work out. This could happen. But in fact, many times it's just the opposite. Biblical hope is just the opposite. There's no evidence sometimes that things will get any better. But we, that's why we choose hope in a person, not an event, not in our abilities. And what it really boils down to is the faithfulness that God has shown in the past. The faithfulness that God has shown in the past, as we saw in that psalm back there, this, the faithfulness God shows in the past motivates us to put our hope and our trust in him for the future. Looking forward, we look forward literally by looking backward. We look at what God has done all that he can do, and we say, we're going to apply that to the future because God says, I'm going to apply that to the future. Again, if we stick to the Psalms for just a second, look at Psalm 39, verse 7. It says, so Lord, what caval do I have? What caval do I have? You are my caval. You are my hope. You are my expectation. You are what I am anticipating. You, not an event, not something, not a roll of the dice, not something under my control or my power. No, I'm, I'm putting my caval, everything, I'm pushing all my chips in and I'm betting on you. You are my hope. And that idea from Psalm 39, that idea carried over into the New Testament. Over to the New Testament, right? With the disciples especially. The disciples recognized who Jesus was. They recognized that the life, death, and resurrection was God setting his people completely free we saw back there in Psalm 130, setting his people completely free. And so the empty tomb literally opened up a new door to hope. That empty tomb, that stone rolled away, literally opened a new door to hope. Now we use the Greek word ilpis to describe that anticipation, that anticipation anew, that hope. Peter writes about hope as a living hope. How is that a living hope? Because Jesus is living, right? Again, that hope is based on a person, not on an ability, not on an event, not on a roll of the dice. That Our hope, our caval, our ilpis is based on a person, that risen Lord Jesus who overcame death and the grave. And the apostles pointed out what had happened to Jesus, right? They pointed out that what happened to Jesus was God's plan for the entire universe, coming out of the grave, right? Not staying dead, right? That's the hope for creation. And this is one of the main themes of the New Testament, that reoccurring theme of the New Testament. Again, it's the Greek word ilpis that goes there, and it's essentially, this, essentially the same as kaval. It speaks of us putting our hope and our certainty into the person of Jesus Christ because of what he's done. Now, doing that is called faith. Sometimes we use the word trust in there. Hebrews 1.11 really opens all of this up to us. It says, now the substance, 
Substance means the actual thing that you can sink your teeth into, the actual thing that you can hang on to. Right? The actual Jesus standing here on earth, physical form, right? even after the resurrection. That's why he ate food. That's why he said, go ahead and touch my hands and things. I'm actually the substance. Right? The, things, the substance of things um, hoped for. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? So we put our hope, we put our ilpis, our kaval, in that person, Jesus, that we did see, that was here, right, for the evidence of things that we haven't gotten yet, the things that haven't come to fruition yet. So it's not a wing and a prayer. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just optimism. No, it's a guarantee. That's what our hope is. It's a guarantee. This is actually one of my favorite verses, not just for now. That's, that's actually one of my favorite verses. That substance, though, something you can really hang on to, something as real as that pew in front of you, right? not something abstract, not some kind of idea, but something we can actually grab onto. Even though we can't see it, right? evidence of things not seen, even though we can't see it, even though it hasn't come to pass yet. And that's one of the things, that's one of the aspects that we celebrate in Advent, Jesus' second coming. Right? Not just celebrating the, the Bethlehem narrative, but also anticipating his coming again, his second coming. And just like Jesus was talking about, the first time no one knew that was happening. No one had any idea that they knew it was going to be Bethlehem, but they had no idea when it was going to happen or how it was going to happen. That's why Jesus talks about his second coming, his second arrival. I read it a second ago. I'm just going to remind you about it. This is Matthew 24, 36. Jesus said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. When I'm coming back again, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows himself. And he went on to say, it's like the days of Noah. You know, no one saw the flood coming. They were just going about their business, partying, marrying, doing their everyday activities. So Jesus is saying we need to be more prepared for the second time around. Don't miss the second time. Be ready at all times because it's going to happen when least expected. But the point is, we know that it's coming. We're not hoping it's coming. We're not wondering if it's going to. No, we know that it's going to be coming. We know it's going to happen. That the hope Jesus points to and leads us to is really himself. Right? Our hope is in a person, not in an idea, not something abstract. Jesus wants us to be filled with hope in him. Again, don't get this confused with optimism. Don't get confused with optimism like we see how things could work out. Just changing the way we look at things or the way we try to deal with things. No, no, no. The best in any situation. The real thing is the substance that we talked about here a second again that is hoped for. And without Jesus, there is literally no hope. Now, think about that. And I know you're going to the English language now. You're saying, well, we can have optimism if we're not a Christian. Well, you can, right? But our hope is in a person. Our hope is in an event that's about to happen. Our hope is in him to bring us to heaven with him. Our trust is there. Our faith is there. That's the substance that we want. Remember that, that Hebrew word uh, for hope is connected to the word cord, right? Rahab threw that cord out her window and had the assurance she needed. Well, that's our hope. Just as God promises to provide us with a gift of faith, God says you know, that faith to us is a gift. Right? In just the same way, he also promises to give us the gift, the ability 
to have hope in him. Again, every time I say that word hope, I know it's going back to the English translation of it, you know, as, as optimism, but it's not. It's a guarantee. He always points us back to the guarantee of who he is and what he has promised us. In this one verse, remember how I said that words of Advent all work together, right? We have love, joy, peace, and hope. In one verse, they all come together. There's points in the Bible that just all connect together, and then sometimes we, we go to that point, sometimes we branch out from that point. Here we can do both. It happens in Paul's book of Romans, and if you've studied with me before, you know that Romans, we call it sound doctrine because Paul wrote down some stuff in the book of Romans that we need as Christians, we need to understand, we need to follow, we need to, to kind of work through. Romans has 16 chapters. The last two chapters are kind of summing up what he's been talking about. So chapter 15, go ahead, Jennifer, chapter, chapter 15, verse 13 is starting to sum up some things. Paul says this now, I pray that God, look at what he says here, the source of hope. Where does our hope come from? It comes from God. We see other verses like in Ephesians where our faith is a gift from God. We don't always put this together, though. We don't always connect this together. God, the source of hope. Okay, so what are we praying here? I pray that God will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust me. Remember the words that we talked about earlier in Advent? Peace. Making us complete. Joy. Protecting us. Guarding us. Right? So filling us with that completeness, filling us with that, with that guarantee to guard and protect us. Why? Because you trust in him. That's also coming from God. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Confident hope. That's a great phrase right there. Not just a wing and a prayer, not just a wishful thinking, not just optimism. No, confidence. Confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives in us. There's the things that, Je that, that Jesus said completely. That hope had already come into the world. That's what Paul said. That's what Peter said. Hope is already here in the world. And it's that kind of biblical hope that we're talking about here. And the disciples, like I said, the disciples knew it. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't understand all of it. They didn't understand every aspect of it. But they knew Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Everything that had come to fruition, they knew that he was the Messiah. Peter said it. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah. Did he understand everything? Absolutely not. Did he stand tall every time? Not, absolutely not. But this is where they understood. This is what they knew. Fulfilled the Old Testament. That's what Jesus said he did. The cool thing about the Greek word ilpis, um, hope, um, in other words, the hope is here kind of hope. Um, the cool thing about it is it's not in the gospel. That word doesn't appear in the gospel. Gospels, I should say. Actually, if you fact check me, it happens once when Herod says, I hope that Jesus will perform a miracle for us. But it doesn't talk about the hope of the Christ, the hope of the Messiah, the biblical kind of hope that we're talking about here. It's not used in the gospel. Why? Because hope was standing in front of them. That hope was there in their lives. That evidence, the things that are already seen. You know, when you have something in your hand, when I have a pencil in my hand, I don't hope I have a pencil in my hand. It was the same thing with the disciples. When they said when they have the Messiah standing with them, they didn't have to say, I hope the Messiah comes because he's already here. So that hope wasn't even talked about at that point. And then after Jesus 
It rises from the grave, walking around, and then when he ascends into heaven, then the word hope comes up again, but it's not talking about the Messiah the first time, it's talking about the Messiah the second time. May the God of hope fill you. Right? Talking about, and then it's used like 70 some odd times. We're talking about his second coming. Since that living hope is already here, since hope is here then, it's available to us. That hope is available to us. That guarantee is available to us. And how the hope that lives in us now makes a difference in our lives. You can tell usually who is actively having that, that hope in their lives and who isn't. How it works hand in hand with the joy of the Lord and God's peace. So we might be going through difficult times right now. We might be going through health problems. We might be going through financial problems. Lost a loved one. Lost a job. The Bible says we can still overflow with confident hope. Why? How? Because the Spirit is in us. And when we overflow with that living hope from the Spirit inside of us, no matter what comes our way, we are still filled with joy. We are still filled with peace. Remember what we talked about in some of those, uh, one of those words we said, the, the Bible says, let the joy of the Lord fill you. Let God's peace fill you. In other words, turn to that, cling to that, own that. And we do that by just looking up. By just saying, okay, I, I don't, like the disciples, like I said about the disciples, they knew, but they didn't understand completely. We know, but we don't understand completely. Can we win every theological debate? Can we know everything that happens? And no, we don't, and we can't. But we can know this. We can know that God fills us with his joy. We can know that God fills us with his peace, completing us. We know that God fills us with his love. And we know that God is the source of our hope. Biblical hope is not optimism. It's a hope in something that we know is going to happen. How do we know it's going to happen? It's based on that person, and it's a guarantee of the things that he's done in the past. We know that he's going to do them in the future. So now as we come into Advent, like I said, we celebrate that, the narrative of the, of the Bethlehem birth, and that's absolutely where we need to be. But if we're not looking to the future, if we're not looking to that hope that the New Testament talks about, remember what I told you, that during the Gospels, the word hope doesn't come up because hope is here. So the hope that we're talking about is the second one coming. When he's coming to, to redeem us, when he's coming to bring us home with him. He promises to bring us to, home, to be home with him, to have a home in heaven when we leave this earth. That's the hope. That's the guarantee. That's the trust. Just like Rahab, when she threw that cord out, she knew it was going to be fulfilled. That's the hope that we have. We know it's going to be fulfilled. We put our trust in him. We put our faith in him. He will overflow, overflow our cup with hope, that hope that comes in him, that hope that comes in a person. And it's the strength of him. The joy, the peace, the love that he fills us up with that gives us the ability to do that, to trust in him and to hope in him. So my challenge, my question for you is this. You know, he's made you complete, your shalom. He's given you that point of safety, that joy. Hope is here in a person. My question for you this morning, has that hope come into your life? Has that hope come into the, into the life of every person you know? That's what the Christmas season is about. Take some time and think about that, how hope has come into your life, how the Messiah, how the Savior has come into your life and come into this world, and how he's going to come again. Amen?
Okay, would you please stand with me? <laughs>